everyone. Yeah, uh, this is uh, uh, the fourth uh, seminar uh, we're going to have uh, on the book of certainty. And uh, Sidi Reda, Dr. Reda Shah Kazami, uh, will uh, make uh, commentary uh, after reading of certain pas uh, passages. Yeah, and today we have uh, Abdurrahman Adnan. Uh, uh, he has agreed, he has consented to read. Uh, certain passages, and then uh, Dr. Reda Sheikh Kazemi, Shah Kazemi uh, will uh, make some commentary. Please. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. This identity of universal man with the divine truth is affirmed in a body utterance, in a holy utterance, Hadith Qudsi of the truth itself speaking through the mouth of the prophet. My slave ceaseth not to draw nigh unto me through devotions of free will until I love him. And when I love him, I am the hearing wherewith he heareth and the sight wherewith he seeth and the hand wherewith he fighteth and the foot whereon he walketh. The same is also expressed in another utterance attributed by the Sufis to the Prophet. I am Ahmad without the letter Meem. I am an Arab without the letter Ain. Who hath seen me, the same hath seen the truth. The letter Meem is the letter of death, that is, of ending. And the letter Ain is a letter of the source of creation, that is, of beginning. And in the truth of certainty, all that has to do with beginning and ending has been reabsorbed, leaving only that which has neither beginning nor end, namely Ahad, one, and Rabbi, my Lord. These words refer especially to that aspect of the truth which is named eternity after extinction. Al-Baqa ba'd al-Fana For all that is subject to change has been extinguished and that which remains, the eternal, Al-Baqi, is beyond all change whatsoever. This reminder is the real self and the self which has a beginning and an end and which corresponds to Ahmad, the Arab, is only an appearance. That the real self is none other than God is also affirmed in yet another utterance of the Prophet. Who knoweth himself, the same knoweth his Lord. The self is all that is left to universal man in whom the veils of the self which hid it have been utterly consumed by the truth. Thus it is said in the chapter of the cow, we make no distinction between any of his apostles. Quran 2, 285. For in the truth of certainty, each of them is nothing but the self, and the self is always one and the same. And it was because of the self, above all, 
that the angels were told to prostrate themselves before universal man in the form of Adam. The self, which is the truth of certainty, is one, but it is not one with the oneness of a single thing among many, but with oneness which eternally annihilates all duality, and nothing can be added to it so as to make more than one, for it is already infinite. This infinite unity, al-ahadiyyah, is sometimes called he, huwa, and the essence, al-that. The garden of the essence is therefore the highest of all the paradises, or rather, in the truth of certainty, it is the one paradise, the paradise of him, and nothing may enter it, since everything is already there. Thus, if it be said, that one has entered the garden of the essence, the meaning is that his self has been reduced to nothing, and that he has thus been changed from one into naught, since only naught may enter it. This knowledge of the nothingness of oneself is what is called poverty, al-faqr, and it is implied in the utterance of Jesus. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In respect of poverty, one may see a further meaning in the words, we make no distinction between any of his opposals, considering this time not so much the self as the selves of the apostles. For though it is said in the chapter of the night journey, and we have favored some of the prophets above others, and unto David we gave the Psalms, Quran 7.55, these distinctions of favor only refer to what is below the paradise of the essence, whereas in the essence itself they are all equal in realizing the truth. God is rich and you are the poor. Quran 46.38 Thank you very much, Abdul Rahman. Much appreciated. Um, I just wonder if we could start by asking the other Abdul Rahman, Abdul Ghazar, or yourself if you know. Uh, can we just have the context of that um, of that final verse where it says, uh, God is the rich and we are the poor? Um, it, it, that's 46.38. Can we just see the verse before that and the one after? Has anyone got uh, a copy of the Quran in front of them? No? All right. Well, um, never mind. Let's uh, wait until someone finds it. In the meanwhile, I'll just go back to uh, the beginning. Can I also see, uh, can I change the screen so that I can see Kifali? Uh, uh, no? I'm here. Oh, you here. Good. All right. Um, uh, I'd like to start just by asking if there are any questions that arise out of these two pages um, before I go into a brief commentary on some of the salient principles. 
Does anybody have any questions? Uh, perhaps, uh, uh, yeah, yes, uh, maybe this is what uh, Sheikh Bubak uh, is explaining is what has been debated for a long, long time among the Sufis about the Wahdatul Wujud, yeah, and the oneness of being or unity of existence. Is it correct? Yes, yes, this is one of those places where he is, is defending uh, the doctrine uh, or at least uh, expounding the doctrine of the oneness of being. There's a lot of interference coming through at the moment. Uh, I don't know who it is that's got their, hasn't got their microphone muted. Uh, yeah, that, that's better. But, um, Yes, all right. Yes, all right. Well, let's go into that then. This is what the Wudud and how, in particular, uh, Dr. Lings is talking about the priority. Let's put it that way. Uh, the, the priority, metaphysical priority, that must be given to the absolute nature of the extinction that is the prerequisite for subsistence. One of the most baffling, challenging, and potentially scandalizing aspects of Vatata Wujud is its experiential concomitant. The, the idea of Bana and then Baqa, because it's from the point of view of Baqa, of subsistence, of carrying on, of surviving after the extinction, after you've been effaced. It's that subsistence of the individuality, the apparent subsistence of the individuality, through which God subsists in reality as Al-Baqi, as Dr. Lewis has mentioned that name, Al-Baqi, the one who is eternal, the one who subsists eternally, when we say in the Sufi doctrine, it means that something, which is the only thing that can subsist, is actually God, the self. That self subsists. It continues to manifest itself, but not as the absolute. It passes through the veils of the extinguished individuality the individuality that has been extinguished in Fana, so that the individual will express things that actually have their source in the universal, in the self. That's why Dr. Lins refers to the Hadith Qudsi, the holy saying um, uh, that the that God speaks through, he hears through the slaves whom he comes to love. And this love that God has for the individual is tantamount to the extinction that God brings about for the individual, the ultimate expression of God's love for the individual. Remember at the beginning of this Hadith Qudsi, uh, um, it said that God said, let those who oppose my friend apprised of war. Hold on a second. <coughs> Sorry, the door just opened. Um, let those who 
Man adani waliya fa'adantahu bil haru. Whoever uh, opposes or makes war on my my friend, let him know that I declare war on him. And then it goes on to speak about how God loves nothing more than the obligatory duties, the ordinary devotions that are made obligatory incumbent upon everybody. So God loves nothing more than those those farai, uh, obligatory duties. But then he says, when my slave comes closer to me through the nawafir, understood as the dik, then I come to love him. And when I love him, I become this, I become that, I become him. I add my identity and the identity of the, the slave become indistinguishable because I hear through him, I see through him. And the same degree of what Dr. Lings has referred to as the supreme identity, the realization of the absolute self, the imminent self within the depths of the heart. Uh, when he says, I am the Arab without the letter Ain, I am the, uh, the uh, Ahmad, what is it? I am the, the Ahmad without the letter Mean. Now it's important there. Mean, as he says, Dr. Lips, is the letter standing for death because the meme has the, has the numerical value of 40, and 40 is the number of death. Uh, 40 days of the wilderness, 40 days of the 40 years of the, the children of Israel in the wilderness. Jesus goes 40 days into the wilderness. 40 days of the, of the exodus, as it were, from ordinary life. It's the letter of death. And the very shape of the letter meme evokes that with the apparent fullness of the top, a circular which indicates life, then curving down vertically falling, as it were, descending into death at the end of that vertical descent. And when you take away the letter meme, you have the word ahad, when you take away the letter ain, which Dr. Ling says is a, a symbol for the source of creation. And I'm not sure exactly what that's referring to, um, other than the fact that the, the word ain itself means fountain or source. So... And that could be the reason why it's identified as the source of, of creation. But if anyone has any other uh, association between Ain and the beginning of creation, please let me know. Um, so when we're talking about this level of self-realization, it's all—it's very, very simple, very uh, simplistic, I should say. To go straight to that saying of the Prophet, Man arafa nafsahu fakad arafa rabbahu. He who knows his soul knows his Lord. And to think, well, you know, this self understanding, self realization, self knowledge is so easy. I just have to know myself. But actually, there's a great deal of work to be done because there is no possibility of knowledge of God without the prior extinction all of the faculties of individuality that set up an epistemological bipolarity between the subject and the object. That itself is duality. Therefore, there's no possibility of the realization of the unity of selfhood so long as the individual faculties of cognition are operative, so long as the individual is the individual. So 
So the absolute importance of understanding the prerequisite of ontological effacement, that prerequisite of ontological effacement prior to the arising, like phoenix-like, out of the ashes. This phoenix rises out of the ashes of annihilation, and that phoenix is the realization of the supreme identity, the one and only that identity that somehow subsists through al-Baqi, God himself who manifests through the now effaced individuality. And that's the place from which these great, what are called the shatriyat, the uh, ecstatic utterances of the Sufis arise, like famous uh, al of Halaj. Halaj could only say such a thing, first of all, in a state, a heart of ecstatic consciousness, of a, of a loss of consciousness, let's say, through the intensity of the ecstasy, so that what we have is God speaking through the tongue of Halaj, just like in, in the Hadith Qudsi, God is speaking through the tongue of the Prophet. Halaj and Bayezid Basami, when he said, Subhani, A'adham Shatni, how glory be to me, how tremendous is my station. He's referring to God, God speaking through these individuals. So it's like a Hadith Qudsi. The, the, the I in question goes back to God. Now, one of the things I wanted to mention is that um, the, as I said, the existential um, concomitant of this doctrine of Wattat al-Wujud, which comes about methodically through the remembrance of God, through Vikrullah. And the reason I wanted to find out about the context of that reference to God is the Rik in Yiyah the Poor is because I think there are two places where this idea is expressed in the Quran. This is one of them. I think the other one is the one that I want to draw your attention to. And I think we mentioned this at the very end of the last seminar. But I want I brought with me today the uh, the Kitab al-Hikam of Sayyidina Ibn Abdullah al-Asfambari in order to read this extraordinary um, hikmah, this uh, aphorism of wisdom. Um, and I will do that now and go back to the Quranic verse when we finish this, this reading. So, in this hikmah, he says, La taktuk adik Do not abandon the invocation because of the absence of your presence with God therein. So don't stop invoking the name just because you're in a state of bafla, in a state of heedlessness or distraction. Don't allow that to stop you from evoking the name. Because your state of being distracted in the invocation is much, sorry, your state of being distracted from the invocation is much worse than your state of being distracted in the invocation. In other words, just because you're distracted, don't stop invoking. Because if you're so distracted 
that you actually leave the invocation and go and do other things in the world, that's much worse for you than your state of continuing to invoke, even if you're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner and so on and so forth. In other words, even if I say, keep invoking, don't stop, even if your state of concentration is far from what you would like it to be. Carry on invoking. Why? And that is not difficult for God at the very end. Um, now, what he's saying there is don't allow yourself to be distracted from the invocation. Even if you're distracted in it, continue to invoke in that state of distraction. Why? Because it's possible. It can happen. That God will lift you from a thick with rafla, with distraction, to a thick with the reality of concentration, yakada, literally wakefulness, alertness. And from a thick with the reality of alertness to a thick with the reality of presence, hodor, and from a dhikr with the present, with the reality of presence, and here comes the paradoxical uh, twist at the end of the tale of this extraordinary uh, aphorism, totally understand. And from a dhikr with the presence, with the reality, wujude hodore, with the wujud, with the reality, with the being of hudur, a presence, to a with the wujud of that of absence, a presence of absence, from a with the being of that absence of everything apart from the mathur, apart from the invoke one. So the dhakir has become one with the dhik, and the dhik has become one with the matkul, because everything other than the matkul, other than the reality invoked, has been effaced by this grace of God, which takes from the individual invoker his limited, specific, and enslaving, let's say, empirical identity, leaving only the supreme identity of the self, of the makul, after this process of elevation from <coughs> distraction <coughs> to alertness, to presence, to absence, to absence of the self, to absence of, from everything other than the object invoked from the makul. And then he finishes by saying, you think this is difficult, then no, 
This is not difficult for God. This is, a, this is easy for God whose grace is unlimited and whose grace is imprescriptible and therefore unpredictable. But all you have to do is concentrate on invoking in a state of fuck. This is the crucial point that Dr. Ling is emphasizing here. That in a state of fuck, in a state of poverty, God can elevate the identity of himself within your individual, within your heart, to make it one with the transcendent reality of the divinity above and beyond your and everything specificity. So that union between the God within and the God above, the, the rejoining between immanence and transcendence, where the darkness reveals itself as God alone, rejoining itself as the Makur is predicated on poverty, on effacement. Now there are two things I'd just like to say before opening up the questions. One is that this poverty is not simply a state of total sana, whereby you are extinguished and God subsists through your extinction. That is the end point of a process that is like the end, the culmination, the climax, the crescendo of a wave of emptying of selfhood, a wave of poverty which is emptying your heart of your own pride, your vanity, your egotism, your subjectivism, your egocentricity, whatever it may be that manifests this um, element of the ego that needs to be completely effaced. But it will only be completely effaced through that and uh, through a, a total effacement of the individuality and not just of the sins of pride that are attendant upon the continuity of the empirical egocentricity, the genital egocentricity that we uh, have to get rid of. So going back to this um, in other words, fuck is poverty which is identifiable in its essence with humility and therefore with all of the essential virtues. And that must be a kind of accompaniment. So to the extent that we are fuqara, to the extent that we are truly uh, a fakir or needy, empty of ourselves, to that extent we will be approximating the miraculous reality of God's qualities shining through us on the level of human virtue until this point of extinction comes when God's radiance through us becomes all the more brilliantly, as it were, radiant and irresistible. And that's when we, when what we feel when we're in the presence of saints who have been effaced by God egocentricity, and one feels the presence, the hodur of God through these, these great saints. That's why we refer to the great saints as Hazrat, Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Fatima. So that Hazrat is, is the Indian version form of Hadra, going back to the idea of hodur, presence, the divine presence. 
And the second thing I want to do is just to re relate this hikmah of Ibn Aqa'il al-Iskandari to the Quranic context, because there are, so far as I know, two places in the Quran where this uh, reference to us as poor and to God as rich comes. And there's one in particular, I think it's the Surah Al-Fatih, and I wonder if Sidi Abdul Rahman or, or Abdul Ghazar can help to provide this verse. Uh, but what I remember is this. Um, oh mankind, ye are the poor in relation to God, and God, he is the rich, the owner of praise. If he wishes, he could remove you and replace you with a new creation. That is not difficult for God. So when Ibn Atayla is finishing his hikmah on that note of that is not difficult for God, it's like an ishkara to that Quranic context where we are described as the fuqara, God is the rich. If he wishes, he could take us away. In other words, in the words of the, of the hikmah, he could remove our state of afla, replacing it with a state of alertness. He could remove the state of alertness and replace it with a state of concentration and fudur, presence. And he could remove even that station of concentration of Fadur with this ultimate station of removing everything which is the, which is the, removing the absence of every uh, having the absence of everything other than the mafkhud, other than that which is the invoked. And that is not difficult for God. Now when we're talking about that final station. Of removal of ma civil makul, the absence of everything other than God. We're talking about first and foremost the removal of our individual uh, empirical reality and its replacement with a new substance, a thunk jadid, in the words of the Quran. If God wishes, He could remove you and replace you with a new creation. That is not difficult for God. So this miraculous transformation that God is capable of for us is something we should always keep in our minds as we go through the, uh, the process, the long and difficult, arduous process of trying to basically think of God, to be aware of God, to invoke the divine reality, and to have total faith in God's capacity, the grace that God has to transform our states of abstraction and distraction and consciousness to become a state of a continuous flow of awareness of God and God's presence flowing through us. So I'll stop there and ask if there are any questions. Just a, a small, I think, a correction to the, I think, uh, there's a mistake in the reference. Right. 
God is the rich and you are the poor. That's Quran uh, 47. Chapter 47, Surah 47, Surah Muhammad, uh, verse 38. Right. Uh, not 46 as in the book. Uh, right, yes. That's one of the two places where this idea is given. The other one, I, I think, is Surah Al-Fatir. Surah Fatir, um, Fatir, uh, Surah, Fatir uh, Surah number 35, uh, ayat number 15. Uh, and, uh, can you remind us how that goes? Uh, surah Fatir. Ayat 35, uh, Surah number 35, Ayat uh, number 15. Ya ayuhan nasu antumul fuqara'u ila Allah, wallahu huwa allahu huwa alghaniyul hamid. In yasha' yudhibkum wa ya'ti bi khalqin jadid. That's the one uh, you want. Wa ma thalika. وَمَا ذَلِكَ عَلَى وَمَا ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ بِعَزِيزٍ Yeah, so that's the one that uh, it, that Ibn Atayla is most probably referring, and that's the verse to which he's referring, and therefore the context, and he doesn't say any of that in the hikmah, but he obviously he knows that the people who are going to be reading his, his aphorism will make the link between what he's saying about the dhikr and what God is saying about the Jadid in relation to As I say, I think there's another place in the Quran where that phrase comes, but I don't remember it as being so directly relevant as the possible source of, of, of this particular inspiration. So well, thank you for clarifying that, and, and we'll uh, alert the, the, the publishers. And maybe if it is a old editions that we have and that in the new editions that mistake in the book of certainty has been put right thank you very much are there any other questions if there aren't any then um, i will just finish with uh, another point that struck me when uh, well two points actually that struck me when i was reading this uh, um, we make no distinction between any of the apostles, the Quran says. And Dr. Ling oh, says okay. that the distinctions of favor refer only to what is below the paradise of the essence. Whereas in the essence itself, they are all equal in realizing the truth. I just wanted to point out that this is identical almost to the wording of Ibn Arabi in one of his. Uh, passages where he speaks about tafadul, tafil tafadul, the the ranking in degrees of favor of grace, and he says Ibn Arabi says that that all of the awliya, all the prophets, the messengers, the saints, all of those who have realized the supreme identity, all of those who are awliya Allah, they are all absolutely indistinguishable in the garden of the essence, in, I think he calls it, nafsan the very soul of, of the real, ultimate reality, and that they only have the tafado in the degrees of paradise and in this world that are below the paradise of the essence. So what Dr. Ling says there is almost verbatim uh, um, from Ibn Arabi without, I think probably, I'm not sure he hasn't read it from Ibn Arabi, but it's remarkable how great minds think alike, and that that wording 
is almost identical to what Ibn Arabi said. And um, the last point is relating to uh, the middle of, of page five, where Dr. Ling says, since the being is utterly extinguished from the truth, he cannot be said to have gained possession of its riches, for in reality he has never ceased to possess them. So this is quite a paradox that he cannot be said to have gained anything because he already yet never ceased. God has never ceased to possess them, and that individual's consciousness identified in an absolute sense with its own imminent source has never ceased to be in possession of all of these riches, has never ceased to be infinite. And this makes me think of something marvelous that. Meister Eckhart said uh, in one of his German sermons um, that when I, and that's not verbatim, it's from memory, that when I return to the ground, the Grund in German, the ground that found the essence, the source of, of God, which is beyond God, that no one will ask me where I have been because no one will have missed me. Meaning he has never been absent, but not he as Eckhart, rather that spiritual spark of consciousness infinitely integrated within the absolute. That has never actually left the essence. That has always been. Nothing can be added to the essence, as, God, as Dr. Lee said earlier in the passage, that the divine unity is eternally burning, extinguishing all duality. And nothing can be added to that unity. It's absolute oneness. So nothing can be added to it by entering into it, like us, quote, as if we could enter the essence or re-enter. And nothing can leave it. It's absolute oneness. And this is what, this is the paradox and the, the mysterious power that Eckhart was given this inspirational power to express in this startling paradox of no one missed me. I was always there, but how could I be there as Eckhart when my individuality is, as a creature, nothing? Remember Eckhart used to say that, that uh, the creature is a pure nothing, is a pure nothing, not a little something, but a pure nothing. It's only as a pure nothing that whatever is real in the creature can re-enter that from which it never emerged. Now these are, these are paradoxes after paradox, but uh, this is what distinguishes the words of a saint who has realized these things and who puts into language what evades, eludes, transcends all possible cognitive uh, appreciation of these spiritual, mystical, metaphysical realities. And just to finish on that note, um, uh, my, when Ramakrishna, the great Hindu saint of the 19th century, was asked, what is it like when you go into, sama, into sorry, samadhi, when you go into this state of uh, complete ecstasy and Ramakrishna would either be completely unconscious 
going into this samadhi, or he would be conscious and then making wonderful gestures, to some extent conscious, and making these gestures of dancing and singing. But he was asked, what is it with this samadhi, which is um, near Bija in Sanskrit, beyond the scene of subsequent karmic regeneration, the highest samadhi, which leads to the highest realization of, of Paramatma. And he was asked, so what is it like when this happens? And he says, if you think of a doll that's made out of salt, and that doll goes into the ocean and dissolves in the ocean, how can that doll come out of the ocean and tell you what it was like when he got dissolved? That's the paradox. But something actually of the dog does reconstitute and it does come out of the ocean. But Ramakrishna still continues as an individual. But what he's saying is this is the paradoxical impossibility of it in any way relating the limitations of individual cognition and language with the infinitude of selfhood that goes beyond all limitations of the human of the human order. So that's a bit like the paradox that the great, another great saint of recent times, um, Ramana Maharshi. He was asked by one of his disciples who lived in New York, Oh, Ramana, I'm practicing this method of self inquiry. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And, you know, I think I may be getting closer to an understanding of the self. But what do I do to my, my fellow New Yorkers? Um, who are still steeped in ignorance. Um, and Ramana said that something like this, that if I'm in a dream and I dream of various people and then I wake up from that dream, is it my duty to go back into the dream and wake up the people of whom I was dreaming? Beautiful. Absolutely stunning. The freshness of this formulation, this, this inspiration that helps us to see that unless we were in a state of hayra, of bewilderment, when we come to think about these ultimate realities, we are nowhere. These, these things go beyond our rational categories, infinitely beyond. So it's like a Zen koan that is actually the best way of trying to understand these things, not to explicate them logically doctrinally, this way and that way, because people are always going to raise up some rational problem or legal problem or theological uh, problem with what we're saying. The only way, this is what Eckhart says in one of his sermons, when he's talking about poverty, incidentally, it's a, it's, a, it's a German sermon on poverty. He says, I plead with you before I start this sermon, I plead with you to have a little bit of this poverty of which I'm going to speak, because if you don't have a little bit of what I'm talking about, you won't understand a word of what I'm talking about. <laughs> you have to have had a taste of all of the, the, the absolute nature of the satisfaction that comes from being aware of your absolute indigence and your thirst. The satisfaction of that thirst you have to already taste within the intensity of your thirst. 
if you are to understand what I'm going to talk about. So along those lines, and that again goes back to the great Jalal of the Rumi, where what I want before I can even give you a, a commentary on the pain of longing is I want your breast to be torn to shreds through the pain of separation. Because if you're not aware of how <coughs> separate you are and you're not aware of how that awareness of separation is actually the seed of ultimate exaltation, sublimation of all of your possible desires, then I can't even begin to give you the commentary of the pain of longing for reunion after separation, the reboot that wants to rejoin the bed from which it was ripped. That's the great symbol of our individual existence, having you ripped from the bed of the essence of the universal infinity. Anyway, I've spoken for far too long, and please, I, I plead with all of you, not to be like this or like that, but I plead, give me a few questions next time, because otherwise I'll just wrap it on, waffle on. Yes, I have a question, but quite a long one. I think I should reserve it for for next session. Yeah, I do have a comment, though, if that's um, uh, still all right. It's um, just uh, with regards to um, to the, um, the letter Ayn in the Hadith, I am um, Ahmed Bilamim and Rab Bilain. Um, Arabi Bilain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so um, yeah. When you said the, uh, it, it talks about the beginning. So yes, it's true. In the symbolism of the letter Ain, one of the things I, I understand that Ain represent uh, in the drawing represent um, a pregnant woman. And uh, so that is obviously represent um, the beginning of creation, which resonates very well with what you described beautifully about the beginning and the end, because the meme is the hangman, which represents the death, as you described. So that is there. Um, and I do have um, the other thing. I do have um, uh, the, the full verse, if you, if you, if you want me to, um, uh, which was mentioned in the chapter, the verse about God is the rich and ye are the poor. Uh, it's part of of a verse. I can read it out loud if you, if you like. So um, it goes uh, like this: um, "Lo, ye are those who are called to spend in the way of God. Yet among you there are some who hold, and as for him who holdeth, he holdeth only from his soul. And God is the rich, and ye are the poor. And if ye turn away, he will exchange you." for some other folk, and they will not be the likes of you. So exactly. it resonates with the other verse that you mentioned about uh, Nata as well, so I thought I'd oh, mention it. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Yeah. All right, everybody look forward to seeing you all in two weeks' time. And, inshallah. Uh, as I, inshallah. And uh, as I say, can we stop recording now? Yes. Yeah. Um,